friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my Lone Star Swillin' criminal and uh, bank robbing cohort and co-host, Alex Dandino. Alex Dandiner. All right, guys, this month, the pod stuffs your stockings. Uh, we've had some really good ones so far. Uh, we quite enjoyed Annihilation. We loved I Saw the Devil. This is also in contention with the best movie we're going to... You guys have thrown us some really good ones. Don't worry, we have Jaws 4 and Light Blaster coming up soon. So, <laughs> plenty uh, off-the-beaten-path ones on the way. But, guys, if you're enjoying seeing us stuff your stockings, which is our favorite month every year... There is still time for you to tell us a movie that you'd love to get covered. Maybe it's your favorite. Maybe you just want to hear us talk about it. Maybe no one talks about it and you just want that. Find us on any of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, at FilmAlchemist1. We're pretty active on. Email, however you do it. You tell us a movie you want to watch and we're going to try our best to get to it. Uh, We can't do them all, but we're going to pick our favorites. Also, if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast app, please leave us a rating and review. That helps us out enormously. Share us on your socials, all that good stuff. Very helpful. Also, if you want to look at these beautiful mugs, these beautiful rugged Texan mugs. Just kidding. We're not Texans. You can find us on YouTube. You ain't from Texas. Born in Dallas, Margot Perot Hospital, 1986. Holy shit. An Italian Texan. I ain't never seen nothing like that. All right, you can find us on YouTube at Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. All right, uh, this suggestion came directly from a dear friend of mine. Hit us up on the old Instagram and said, we have a shocking lack of Westerns in the, the back catalog of Film Alchemist, which I'm sure is true. In fact, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I literally can't think of one, nor did I care to until now. How dare you? I actually, I, I like all genres. It's just about uh, finding the ones that tickle my tickle exactly. my fancies, you know what I mean? So, Marlon suggested Hell or High Water. Now, I will say this, and I love when this happens on the show. I had missed this movie. I didn't see it in theaters because I think it came out right when my kid was born, so I was a little occupied. It's been out on streaming forever, and it's one of those I add to my list on Netflix yeah. Which essentially is just the graveyard. If I add it to my list on Netflix, I'm yeah. never going to this watch was, it. Right? I added it to our list because this was <laughs> one that Andrea really wanted to see. My wife is obsessed with Ben Foster. So Yeah. I actually and, almost got attacked by Ben Foster once in LA when we were drinking. Was he in, was he was he in character? Because that would make a lot of sense. Uh, he was essentially the character in this when he saw me and was like, You look kind of big. You want to fucking fight? I was like tough talking me. I was like Nah, man, I'm cool. I'm just here to, like, drink beer. And he's like, shh, all right, giant wuss, I would have murdered your face off. And I was like, all right. And then later he came over, he's like, that's pretty cool the way you stood your ground. And I was like, no, I was just, like, sitting and not acknowledging you. Like, nose standing. And then later, me and him almost had to team up. It was a, a wild rock. It's one of those great L.A. nights in my 20s. But this is the crazy thing, right? Everyone I know said this movie's great. I fucking love Jeff Bridges. I never miss a Jeff Bridges, mostly. Right. Yeah. I never miss Ben Foster, mostly. I love Chris Pine. I love looking at how beautiful he is, even when he's a rugged fucking cowpoke. How did I not see this movie? I feel like it's one of those, having now seen it, and it fucking blew my cowboy hat off. How did this movie come and go and not make bigger waves? It's well truly it got, phenomenal. 
It got nominated for four Oscars. Um, it mm-hmm. got two. No, it got three Golden Globe nominations, I believe. Like it's mm-hmm. one of those movies that I think uh, didn't. It's one of those movies that everyone's like, "Oh, you got to see that." It's one of those great movies of like, "You got to see that movie," but then like everyone says they saw it or thinks they might have seen it because right. it's a western. <laughs> like this is like the problem with westerns in like the 2010s or like going forward in our lives in general is that westerns kind of have to become a different thing altogether. Like great example right now, The Mandalorian on uh, Disney Plus is basically a western. It's basically like right. kung fu and uh, like every spaghetti western you've ever seen. But like that's the problem is that we don't live in a world where who that respect the genre of western itself. So like this one even would be considered, I believe, like a neo western. But it's a western pretty yeah. much. Which is funny because I feel like the samurai flick is coming back in vogue, right? And the samurai very flick much so. and the western are very much tied together. Very much. I feel like this one to me is a, a eulogy to the western as we kind of knew it. Sure. And it's but that's what I think is fascinating is that Westerns are kind of becoming this thing where it feels like Western as a genre is the horse. And then you have to put another genre on top of it. Right. Whether that be horror, sci-fi, whatever you want. Right. There has to be some other thing, comedy. And it's kind of sad because like, this movie made me stop and even ponder old country music. New country music is an absolute ear exploding abomination. Right. Like if you listen to like, who does my mom listen to? Luke Bryant. Guys like these, Big Rich, I think is one of them. I don't know if it's Big Rich I believe or it's if there's bi- Big I, and Rich. I believe it's Big and Rich. Big and Rich. They're like L- Abbott and Costello. Anyway. Is that two people? I thought, it was a, guys, I thought it was one guy. Whatever. Doesn't I don't know. Matter. My mom plays their songs, and she's always like, you've got to hear this song. It's so great. And she plays it, and I was like, it's essentially Lil Wayne, but less fun, more annoying, and dumber. And I hate modern country. I, but the songs they play in this movie, you're, I, I understand, well, right? And it, it made me opine and miss the days of just – and this is – it's kind of almost a eulogy for the American dream too, this movie, right? right? Which is here is the way things used to be, right? You could just make it on your metal if you were true and worked hard and put in the time and sweat. Right. You can do it. And Western's always had this here's a lone man – Who's standing up against insurmountable odds, right? The the American dream, right? I will defend my family with my gun. I will stand my ground. I will work hard and provide. And if I do that, America will provide for me. Right. And all this movie does is just dissect that. Totally. Right? And so it made me I was I was getting a little misty eyed at some of these classic, you know, old Sturgill Simpson songs and the days when country was the story of that man and westerns and samurai movies were the story of that man. Right. And I feel like that story has kind of gone a different route. And we don't get a lot of them in this presentation anymore. Right. And I love that about it. I mean, I feel like, to me, the the value of... Uh, it's interesting you bring up the music, because I agree. Like, I, I absolutely abhor country, Western music. I don't really like it very much. But this harkens right. back to a time where country and Western wasn't really the genre. It was just music. Um and I think that benefits from the fact that it's Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Uh, they well, are- I think when it went, it, it before it became like the boot scooting music, right? right? Where hey, we can all stand in a line right. and dance I poorly. Mean, there's a time it was actually where about stuff, right? There's a time where it was like Woody Guthrie and Johnny Cash. Like that's the time that this move, this music, and the mood is harkening back to. And again, doesn't hurt that it's Nick Cave doing it. He's wonderful. Um, but ultimately, right. I think that audio sets the mood so well for this because you don't feel it's like 
like it's not like fucking the duke it's not the duke brothers this is literally it's not a deliverance yeah it's not like deliverance it's not the it's not the dukes of hazard or anything like that like what it really is is about yeah you're right it's about honoring the past like honoring where this genre sort of comes from and then looking towards the future about how this story will exist now that like the wild west isn't around. Like if you're not going to do something in the 1850s, what kind of story can you tell? that's a Western besides like setting it in space or doing any other making it basically making it a samurai story. Like how do you make this a Western? Yeah. And that's, this is exactly this how one you do felt, it. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt timeless in a way like this could have been made in the eighties until you saw the Texas Ranger <laughs> vaping that super yeah. threw me for a loop. Absolutely. When the Texas Rangers started vaping, I was like, what? Well, and that's again, I, like, like, I should just be outlawed that old Texan cowpokes can't vape. Well, that's again, Yeah. They should all just be like, listen, if you're, listen, you join the, you join the Rangers. Now we don't vape here. You either smoke Marlboro Reds or you get kicked off the force. That's all we do. All right. Yeah. Like, that's I mean, how that is an inherently not tough looking activity. It was weird. But, Cause I was like, what flavor does he have? Cotton candy in there. But that's like, <laughs> but even in that scene too, like that's a great example of like what we're talking about, which is like honoring the past, looking forward. It's like Jeff Bridges right. is this old fucking racist dude who's sitting there watching his, like his, uh, half, his half native American, half Mexican partner, uh, smoking, uh, smoking a vape. And he's just like, I don't like it. Like, that's like the whole, it's like the whole vibe I of the don't movie. like it. No. <laughs> yeah, what what the movie really and it's just honestly it's just such an amazing script. Like when I was doing my notes to break down to talk about this movie, I mostly was just writing down lines of dialogue, which yeah. <laughs> there are so many great ones. But the movie what I love most about this movie is I love any movie that has moral ambiguity, right? Right. And the whole premise of this movie is you feel like everyone agrees they're robbing banks and they're bad guys, but also no one really feels like they think of them as that bad, right? Even Jeff Bridges until the end when he finally loses something in this pursuit, right. he's kind of just like, ah, it's something to do to not retire. It's almost a game, right? Yeah. Justice in this movie is is almost a game that he's trying to win. And right. so one of the things I love is all the moments we stop with the character, right? And in the opening scene, we get these great long shots of uh, the lady coming to work. She goes in and, uh, you know, they have her at gunpoint. Go open the fucking drawer. They open the drawer. She's like, nothing's here. The The safe is back there. He's not going to be here for a while. And she says, and this is, I love this because it sets up the whole movie beautifully, which was, uh, you know, you guys shouldn't be here when the manager gets here. All you're guilty of now is being stupid. Right. And I was like, there's this kind of honor amongst people who understand the struggle, right? That every character we meet in all of these small forgotten towns all kind of understand the desperation factor at minimum. And so her being kind in that moment is really, it's kind of touching in a weird way. <laughs> I mean, to tell you the truth, it just, what it feels like is, uh, Texas like honestly like if there's one thing that I feel I this is like the like before we get into like because I do have like a couple of funny like oh those are very that's very Texas of them like there this feels though very um small town very and again this goes back to the western thing small town 
not a lot of security. Why would you need a lot of security? Why would you need the security cameras working? Who's right. going to come to a small town and steal from the bank? Like that kind of stuff is very interesting because um, one, it's what uh, Tanner and Toby are dealing with the entire movie, which is like they're on the run, but like they're kind of not really on the run because who the fuck's going to steal from like a small, you know, one horse town bank? Well, they are, but that's yeah. like that's well, like. That's yeah. customary of like old time. That's customary of original western westerns, though. You walk into a small yeah. town, you rob the bank. Like that's what bank robbers did. You know, you don't go after the big, you don't go after the big hall. Like you don't go after the Wells Fargo going across the country. <laughs> what you do is you go after the small right. halls. You make your money that way. You 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 train your guy those guys those way. Like that's that's pretty interesting to me. I really enjoyed that about the movie. Right. Well, there's that great running bit where they're. They're constantly talking about why do you not have cameras and even these banks that are guarding these small fortunes, they just can't fathom that anyone would even know that this town exists to come rob them. Right, right. And people in the town aren't going to rob because they're all so inherently connected. I'm from a super small town. Right. So I kind of get this vibe, right? It would be <laughs> shocking to think that anyone even would know our town's name right. to come rob it. Right. Right. Oh, exactly. And so it's <laughs> there's this built-in desperation in every character in every location. I, one of the scenes that really drove that home to me was when Jeff Bridges' partner are driving, and there's that giant fire, right? Yeah. And they're sitting there and, uh, you know, driving around, and he's like, hey, should we call it in? Can we help these guys, right? The cows are all crossing. He's like, I got to get them to the stream, right? Right. And Jeff Bridges just says, <laughs> there's not even anyone out here to call. These boys are on their own. Right. Well, that's the whole fucking movie, man. Oh, Is totally. It, there's, it's it's the, and I love the way they shoot everything too. It's so expansive, right? They do a lot of these great, not quite John Ford esque, but these really long, wide shots that just show you the emptiness of this place, right? And that not only is it empty of opportunity and money, help, you know, like there's nothing there. So these two brothers, and they do a great job of giving them perfect rationalization for what they're doing but never absolving them of the crime no right. one sits there and they don't turn into these robin hoods it's just no people no. understand they don't condone yeah there's nothing about what they're doing that is there's nothing about what these guys are doing that is right like that is probably the key element of the story in general is that these guys are only right in the sense of frontier justice like that's what everybody that's like that's the main through line is like, if you believe in frontier justice, if you believe like, this is a great example of, again, this is uh, ab about small towns, like small towns, small places to live. You don't believe in or trust in the government very often. So you depend on yourself. And that's really what this ends up being about uh, from mm -hmm. the uh, brothers perspectives in general from the Howards is simply that they wanted, they, you know, they need to pay off their reverse mortgage, so on and so forth. So what do they do? They're going to do they're going to steal from the bank that took their money and give it back to and them. only that bank, <clears throat> right. only that bank, only that bank. <laughs> so it's kind of a pointed revenge. Yeah. I mean, it gets to this, too, where people keep saying that, like, man, that's that's the most Texan thing. Right. Uh, there's the guy in the diner who sits in. He, uh, you know, <laughs> I watch the bank that's been robbing me for 30 years get robbed. Right. And I think there is that mentality of, well, them boys is criminals, but so is the fucking bank. They're just legally authorized to steal from us. Right, right. And that's what these people are doing is that Toby's land has 
oil on it, right? So the bank is trying to gin up this, we'll steal the land for nothing, right. turn around and make all this money on it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. That's within our legal system, right? With these predatory loans and shit. Right. And then, uh, you know, just gentle things like her stopping to just talk to Chris Pine's character, right? The waitress. <laughs> There's just this moment of just two people just kind of talking, right? Like a, a respite from how shitty things can be out there. And he tips her really well. Well, this moment's really important because later when they come in, like, we need that tip money. That's evidence. And she's like, that's half my mortgage. That's how I'm going to keep roofs over these kids. She never turns him in. She knows right. exactly who the fuck he looks like. And then later she's like, oh, I don't recognize him. Right. The guy totally. who said he watched the bank get robbed knew exactly what kind of shirt they had on, but didn't recognize a guy as beautiful as Chris Pine walking into that diner. I mean, are you telling me get those ba- are you telling me those steel baby blues are not going to just be a dead fucking giveaway? I'll never forget Chris Pine's look in this movie. It was gorgeous. <laughs> there's no way these cowpokes didn't know who the fuck they were. But again, there's kind of this. They admire the Texanness of it, he right? God damn. And beautiful. in a world where none of that matters anymore, right? No. The, the cowpoke who's r- moving his cattle across the road sits there and says, no wonder my kids don't want to do this shit for a living. Right. There's no help. The bank's robbing me. I need to put a roof over my kid's head. Totally. You know, all the things they're constantly saying. You see these other Texans who also have known hard times and they have a built in assumption that these guys are doing it for some other reason that they can empathize with without knowing the reason. Right. I mean, again, it's cool. It's a cool built in aspect of the film. What's well, the thing I love the most about it really is just like the built in eventuality of the built in eventuality of everything. Like, Nothing yeah. lasts forever. Like even the ending is ominous because of that. And I I really enjoy when movies do this is they set you they they set the pieces on the board. Like you know what's going to happen. Oh, like it's a deceptively simple plot by the way. Like that's the thing I yeah. love that's the thing that I love the most about this movie is it's a deceptively simple plot where it's simply just hey, two guys need to pay off their mortgage so that the bank can't take their land and make a bunch of money off of it. So what do they do? They steal the money from the bank who's trying to take their home and then give it back to them. Like, it's a very simple idea. But within that, you get great character development, great performances. Like, those are the kinds of things that are ma- that are making movies awesome like this because this shouldn't be complicated. And it's not. And that's what makes it so thrilling and so awesome to watch because you really hook yourselves in because you don't have to worry about understanding the plot moving forward. You just need to know these guys are robbing banks to pay something off. Cool. So the next best thing is I guess I'm just going to have to attach myself to these guys and figure out what makes them tick. And that's what sails you through the whole movie. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. Yeah, and this is the thing why I like this. (laughs) It's actually one of my least favorite kind of subgenres. Or bank, like, heist movies. <laughs> I don't <coughs> love heist movies. Sorry, sure. I'm still sick, guys. I'm still sick. Uh, but what I like about this one is, again, the expansive nature of how they shoot Texas yeah. and the empty kind of dying on the vine feeling of it. Totally. Even the, the action scenes, if you will, are kind of slow and steady. So there's a lot of time of us just... sitting in cars, sitting on a porch, you know, sitting in a hotel room, just moments where little interactions become a chance for a character to really stamp uh, their impression on the the locale, right? Like, I matter, I'm different, right? Right. Great example. 
the waitress who works at that bar across from the bank that they're going to stake out. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, here's what you're ordering. Tell me what you don't want. She remembers the one guy that didn't order a steak in all those years. And she has. So when they're outside talking, they're like, this place has a rattlesnake for a waitress. She has built herself into more in their minds. Right. Right. And so there are a lot of these strong personality characters that are doing that. And I, I like the the moments just sitting with these characters, especially the two brothers yeah. and the two rangers. Right. Those yeah. two journeys are lovely. Totally. And uh, Ben Foster in this movie. Just he just reminds you. I don't understand how this guy's not in everything. I think Ben Foster's, uh, from what I've gathered over his career, like again, this is a kid who was like he was one of the fucking Disney Channel kids for a while. I think. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And then back in Ben, way back <laughs> it was in ABC, the day. I think. Yeah. Saturday he morning, was one yeah. of the ABC kids. Like he had like he was on the rise, man. I think he just makes such interesting choices, and this is. 1000% one of them like he does these great characters is great and he's just it's, it's impossible not to be fascinated but when you watch him like because yeah. I think the thing I like the most about watching Ben Foster in movies is I have absolutely no idea what he's going to do like I know this character but then I kind of right. don't like I'd have like yeah. even in the first scene like the first the top of the first the top of the fucking movie you don't know what he's gonna do he's gonna rob a he's gonna rob this bank what if he shoots that lady I thought he was going to, yeah, I thought he, she calls him stupid. Yeah. I honestly <laughs> thought he was going to shoot that the bank manager yeah. when they were like standing on the side of the wall. I'm like, is he going to point the gun out? He's going to be that cold blooded. It's like, no, he's not. He's just going to fucking bop the guy in the face. Like again, you have no idea. Like that's the beauty of watching Ben Foster on screen in any movie, but particularly this one is the sort of uncanny, uh, the uncanny valley of not knowing what he's going to do, not knowing what it's, yeah. what it is like, what the character is in general. And like, I think by the end of the movie, what you really learn about Ben Foster's character is that while he is a, you know, three time loser and he's a bad guy and like, he really like probably should go to back to jail. What he is is fiercely loyal and he believes in the, yeah. he believes in what he does. And I think that's kind of the commendable, um, what I would call the commendable Western thing is anytime you have a character who believes in what they're doing, doesn't waver in it at all. That's, that's all you need. Yeah. And, it's so funny because Ben Foster kind of has the exact same career path as Shia LaBeouf without yeah. as many of the like paparazzi inspired things. Right. 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 But they're they're of that ilk. And what what is fascinating about Ben Foster that's highlighted in this movie is that he's on the screen with legitimate movie stars. Right. Bridges and Chris Pine. When I watch them, I feel like I'm watching a movie star perform a character. Yeah, totally. Right. It's like when I went to see the stage play of uh, Christmas Carol. Right. Right. And Christopher Lloyd's in it. I didn't feel like I was watching Ebenezer Scrooge in real life. I was watching Christopher Lloyd give me this awesome rendition of Ebenezer Scrooge. Right. And that's how sometimes movie stars are. But Ben Foster has this extra kind of chameleon nature where he's not a big enough star to where we just assume he'll play Ben Foster. Right. Right. And while he again, he's not the big enough star like that. He always holds his own in every scene and actually ends up stealing almost every scene he's in. Totally. And I think that's a really great place for an actor to inhabit. And and he's just a man full of contradictions, right? I love the opening when they're in the house and he sees his mom's bed, right? And he's like, the cows are skinny. I could have helped. I could have cleaned up. And Chris Pine's like, you didn't do that shit. Yeah. And he, he starts crying a little. And then he just goes, yeah, well, fuck mom. She never wanted anything to do with me anyways. <laughs> right? And that's his whole character 
summed up perfectly, right? Where he's this guy who desperately wants better. Right. But the world has dealt him a bad hand, so his response is, ah, fuck it, burn it all down. Right. But you know he's not the actual kind of guy who wants to say fuck his mom. No. It tears him up that he wasn't there and that things ended badly. Right. But this is the character. He's built himself into this Comanche, he says, right? The Lord of the Plains. Right. And there are so many moments like that with him in this movie that are fascinating because they set him up early, like you said, in the bank to be Renner from the town, right? The guy who's just a criminal who wants to make it big and wants to be this, you know, great, big, fucking important guy. By the end of the movie, that's not where uh, Ben Foster's character ends. Right. No, he's... um. I mean, it's just such a fascinating arc in general. Like it's like his particularly, like I think we all kind of know where Chris Pine's arc is going to go. Once you meet his son, you have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen, how the story is going to pan out. Like again, I I don't find this movie particularly surprising as far as the storytelling goes. What's surprising is within the performances. And that's like, yeah. So once you know that Toby like sees his son and he tells his son, like, don't do what I do. Like, don't be like me. And he has that beat of like, here, you want a beer? And he goes, I thought you didn't want me to be like you. Like that's that that's 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 that scene right there. That's that's Toby Howard in a nutshell to me. Tanner is such a fucking different Pandora's box of contradiction, which is like he just wants to be a bad like he wants to be a bank robber. That's like the thing is he wants to be a bank robber. Now, see, this is the thing. I don't know that he does. Right. Tanner Tanner for sure. No, no, no. I I see Ben Foster's arc a little differently, right? Because he even says where, you know, uh, they're (laughs) fighting, right? Right. And Chris Pine goes, why did I even fucking, you know, why are you even doing this? And he says, well, because you asked, little brother. I think what he sees, right? And what we learned, too, the backstory is the dad used to be super abusive. Right. And so he would take it on himself to take all the extra beatings to try to protect everyone. Right. Ends up killing him again, thinking he's helping. He's been out of jail for a year after 10 years in and his brother calls him for help. Right. And I think this is the moment where a guy like Chris Pine says, this is where the bad hand that I've been dealt in these experiences. Give me a chance to make a very good, positive change in the dynamic. Right. Right. He even he's the one who says, hey, go see your kids. Right. Fuck that insurance. Right? The reason he robs that bank off the cuff by the diner is because he wants to get the child support so that Chris Pine can just go see his fucking kid before Friday. Totally. When it all might go. So what I think happens is he plays the part, the outward tough part, right? The same way that as a kid, he probably played the I'm tough standing up to his dad who would beat the shit out of him. Right. Because he desperately just wants to have a good impact on his family. So I don't think he likes being a bank robber. I think he's being the guy that Chris Pine needs him to be. And that, to me, is driven home the most in that final moment. Interesting. Right? When they separate in the two cars. Right. And he's like, come on, just come with me. We can get away. We have a different car, whatever. And he's like, he knows that's not going to work. Right. And he, in his mind, knows that him dying is a shield to give his brother and his nephews a shot is the most meaningful thing he can do. And I love that. Oh, it's so beautiful. Because he actually looks away when he says, I love you, brother. Yeah. And then he looks back and says, I mean it. He can't look his brother in the eye and just say, I love you. 
because it fights this fucking narrative that he's building for himself. Right. See, I don't know. I would argue. I think Jeff Bridges pens him as that. Like, he's the dumbass who just wants to be a robber, and he would have just kept buying more shit to give him an excuse to go steal more. I don't really see it like that, man. I think it's a much smaller well, personal arc. Well, I wouldn't. I mean, I feel like the motive. I feel like Jeff Bridges is right. I, I don't think the motivation is correct. Like buying extra shit so he has to steal more didn't really bother. Like that felt untrue. That's like a lawman's yeah. perception. To me, right. What it is is, what it is is like the feel the like that. It's like being an adrenaline junkie to me. Like it's right. knowing your place. Yeah. It's knowing your place in the world. That's why I think Ben Foster's like. That's what he loves. He's it's right. It's the, like that's why like when they're at the diner with Katie Mixon's character, like he leaves and literally just goes and like steals money, just like right. he just does it on a whim because he's like whatever I but, don't care. But why his his place in the world, right? The adrenaline junkie. I think he sees his place in the world as between his brother and the suffering of their life, right? I think there is a more heroic nature to what he's doing. Even as he plays the classic bad guy. Right. Right? Even in the end, there is that utterly gut-wrenching moment where I audibly gasped at my TV and was in horror is when Ben Foster runs up into the hills, right? Mm -hmm. And when he fucking shoots uh, the deputy, right? Alberto. Yeah. It is such a gut-wrenching and devastating moment. Brutal. And to be fair, we don't know a ton about Alberto. He's probably our least developed character, right? right? Guy trying to get his job on, wants to retire on a boat with his wife. Right. Puts up with a racist partner, right? right. Who he knows kind of, like, they have a bond, even though Jeff Bridges is annoying as fuck to him. Yeah. Why does that moment hurt us so fucking bad? And it's not just because he tells Jeff Bridges, I hope I'm lucky enough to see it through like you. It's because that is the first and truest moment that we see him, we see Ben Foster's character truly do an unrepentantly disgusting act that didn't need to happen. Right. He killed two guys in the bank, but that's because they were going to shoot his brother. Right. So we can still slightly justify it, even though it is wrong. Right. When he shoots Alberto, that is the first fully despicable moment that does not need to happen to protect his brother. Right. And so that to me is where, where the, uh, that's the argument I would make as to why I think it's a more heroic, if not misguided arc for him than just, he just likes playing a tough guy. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that I, the other moment I really noticed like right before he's killed. Yeah. That beat where he just stops shooting and looks out onto the like veranda, you know, like that. Yeah. That to me is like the most Texas thing of all. It's just like, well, I'm shooting all these guys, but I do need to stop and really appreciate all this beauty yeah. like that. But that's like that's also that fatalist thing of like you've gotten your rocks off, like you've gotten the thing you wanted. So now what are we going to do? Well, it's time. to. Well, die. he says Lord of the Plains, right? Right. <laughs> it's the Comanche thing that he had in the, the casino with that guy. Right. And again, I think it's because this is what the guy at the uh, poker table, right? They have that great moment. And he says, Comanche means uh, forever enemy, right? And Ben Foster says, uh, you know, you know what that makes me? That makes me Comanche. He's not the enemy of the Comanche. He wants to be like the Comanche. Right. He knows that he's going extinct and that he's on the losing side of this, but he is willing to fight the forever enemy. Right. And so I don't know that it's, Again, it's not the rocks off. I think in his mind, he's sitting there looking out. He is the Comanche that through his fire and will and passion to fight, 
he is giving his family a chance to not be Comanche, right? To not get wiped out. Because Chris Pine says it later on his porch in a brilliant line when he says, I was born poor. My parents were born poor. My grandparents were born poor. It's like an infection, a disease that spreads through us and keeps us in these terrible things. And he goes, my kids won't have it anymore right. because of this. Right? Right. And I think that's what Ben Foster's character is contemplating up on that rock. Is that for the first time in his life, when he came out of prison, his brother's life was not good. Right. He didn't really protect him from the world. This is the thing that he did. No ma- And despicable, right? He took it to the place that only he could take it. But he has now actually truly given his brother a shield against reality. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I think that's the thing that Ben Foster does that other actors wouldn't do with this role. It's easy to play the kind of gun-toting, uh, devil-may-care sure, Texan. right. I don't think that's where Ben Foster's thought process starts with this character. No, I mean, I also feel like that's not where Ben Foster's that's not where Ben Foster's process takes would take it either. That's right. like I think the bigger deal is like the bigger thing is anytime he's done a role similar, like again, anytime he's done a role that's like unhinged is the great word. Yeah. Like that's always the buzzword, unhinged. Foster's unhinged performance. Like mm-hmm. I've seen him do two or three times, like like. The most notable ones for me is like Alpha Dog. Like Alpha Dog is right. one of those things where he plays a Jewish kid who's neo Nazi whose kid brother gets kidnapped. So right. his like but where his like the turn comes from for me, like where he's like winding himself up is not about like, oh, my kid brother got kidnapped. Because that's a really simple like that's what it is is oh, my kid brother got kidnapped, but more to the point, this comes down to me. Like that's like, that's where he starts from. So I think you're right. Like Ben Foster's motivation on the outside, like superficially is absolutely like thrill seeker. But I think you're totally right in that there's the the level he starts at is very different than the one we're starting at as viewers. Well, and this is the the thing, right? With a lesser actor, because it's always funny to me, like we write and, you know, we talk about stories a lot as part of this show to me. It's, there's always these contradiction in character stereotypes, right. right? So to me, the character who is devil may care actually cares the most, right? Their reputation, like a Han Solo, cares a lot about what other people think about him. His reputation's important, right? Totally. Uh, to me, it's where you see, like, when you watch Suicide Squad, where you see Jared Leto fail as the Joker, is that he's playing the Joker as a guy who cares really a lot about what people think of the Joker, Right. Which is not true to the nature of that, you know, just fully chaotic mindset. Right. And so what a lot of people would do in this role is Ben Foster's just, I got a bad deal. I went to jail. Fuck mom. She never wanted anything to do with me. Right. Without the tears and the loving moment and tender nature with the brother underneath. And that's what makes him such a fucking unbelievable performer to me. And that's that's kind of what I like in general about this movie is when you do a story about bank robbing, right? Bank robbing is wrong. You should not steal other people's money. And you can get into the economic, you know, <laughs> fucking Bernie Sanders bros on Twitter. Capitalism is theft. Right. Yeah, all right. I'm not an economics professor. I'm not smart. I know if you take something that's not yours, that's not right. That's wrong. You know what I mean? Right. That's wrong. And you could say, well, the bank did it first. 
Okay, an eye for an eye leaves the world blind, right? There's all these cliches about the nature of justice and good and evil. Right. What this movie does is instead of just being a heist and a crime movie, it's more of a survival, right? This plays more of like Tom Hanks and Castaway to me than a heist movie at times, which is these guys are on their fucking own and have nothing, no chance of survival, and they're not going to get help right they have to build the raft that will get them off this fucking island totally that's how i see this movie and i think sitting in the area where even jeff bridges doesn't feel like he thinks these are really bad guys he's not when they're watching that bank he's just sleeping at a table with his feet up yeah he's not really sitting there like oh i need the swat team and i need you know oh we're gonna pose a bank teller like a cop will pretend he's a bank teller with a shotgun He's just like, I had something to do. It's interesting. It's something different to look at in this never-ending expanse of nothingness. Right. And that's, I think, that the fact that we never are hard on it. And by the time people start making the choices where they are firmly evil now, right, even with good intentions, that's when it it's so emotionally heartbreaking. Yeah. I think. Now, here's a question I wanted to ask you. What do you think life looks like for Jeff Bridges after this movie? Like, after the final scene, that little standoff? Yeah, because they do this thing constantly, right, where he's trying so hard to not retire. He retires, right? He seemingly has figured the case out. And there's that great scene when he's like, he's not a suspect, even though we know he did it. Right, yeah. Uh, You're not a cop. Get out of here. Go do something. He cannot be comfortable, right? He sleeps outside with no shirt on. He sleeps on a park bench when he's surveying the bank, knowing they're not going to rob it in the middle of the night. Right, right. And he has to go have his showdown moment with Chris Pine, which is just fucking a lovely scene. Great right? scene. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, to what me, happens after that? I think he, I mean, because he has that great like that that little moment of like, well, like basically they both said, well, I'll see you later because they can't do what they want to do now. Right. So that's like, I think, kind of where it starts. Um, I would say. Do you think they ever have the showdown? Oh, abso- oh absolutely. From it? 100%. I wondered about that. Why Why would you think this turns into the showdown down the road? I mean, as Chris Pine does the, hey, I live at this place. We can finish this later if you want. Yeah. Clearly insinuating that they can shoot it out if they need to. <laughs> totally. I mean, I think that's what it is, though, is like it's I think that's where they're both going to end up. Going. I think this movie Ends where it ends, but I feel like those guys end probably about a day later. One of them gets killed. Like, See, I wonder, because the thing that I thought is that for Jeff Bridges, there's no reason to kill this guy. Well, right, there is. So this guy lost his brother, and I think when Jeff Bridges sees his family, he's like, oh, you don't live here. Like, you've given all this money away. You still didn't, like, get the girl. You didn't get the whatever. He just goes there and works on it. And, you know, it might work out better. He'll, he's going to tutor his kids. So he does have a better life. Right. But there's this moment of, I wonder if Jeff Bridges is the has that moment of Texan on Texan respect. I mean, for I, a brief moment. For a brief moment. Where he lets it go. For a brief moment, I totally think, like, when the family shows up, there is a there's a respect because there's, a, there's the, the Western respect. Like, the thing that kind of comes through in Western movies, which is like the lawman and the man, but like it's, I think about three ten to Yuma a lot, you know, 
Like uh-huh. that's what this scene reminds me a lot of is like three ten to Yuma where you have the man of law, the man against the law who sort of begrudgingly respect each other because they both know that family comes first, that kind of thing. Right. But you also know that at some point one of them has what like the inevitability after that moment is that one of them has to die by one of the other's hands. It's the right thing to do. It definitely feels like the Texan Western thing to do, right? Definitely. There's, the, the fact that Jeff Bridges is so against comfort, right? And I think Chris Pine has the line where he says, uh, hey, maybe I'll give you some peace, you know, if you come see me again. And, uh, you know, Bridges is like, no, nah, uh, it's not going to be like that. You're going to be haunted by this forever. Right. And I'll be haunted too, right? We'll both be haunted by, like, our failures here. So I think there's a part of Bridges that – this gives him the reason to stay off his porch. Right. Just enough to where, you know, let it go. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I wondered about that, like, if they'd ever have that duel. Oh, I absolutely think they will. Like, that's. It feels like before long, Bridges will be. He'll need to do it. They have to do it because it's the right thing to do. Like, that is, like, I yeah. think the ultimate. That's the ultimate lesson in the movie and the thing that the movie lands on so poignantly, which is that what's right must to what what's right is not just what must occur, but it's what is inevitable. And that, that belongs to like the law of nature, not the law of man. I think that's like the most important thing is that the whole movie is about frontier justice. So frontier justice can't happen when Jeff Bridges is still a Texas Ranger frontier justice has to happen on that porch where he says, I'm holding your spot. I hold you responsible for the death of my partner. And he goes, well, I don't have to tell you, but maybe we can go back and finish the conversation elsewhere. And then he see like, that's like, seeing the family begrudgingly respecting someone who did this for his family, just knowing that it's not just all for shit. That's a really important aspect of it. But that scene, uh, that scene where they have a shootout absolutely happens sooner rather than later too. Well, there's also this kind of double layer point, right? Which is, (laughs) I think Jeff Bridges would see that. And they know that the bank was trying to criminally rob them. Right. Of their property to get this oil, right? Mm-hmm. That's the funny thing is by putting the trust with the bank, they're like, we want the trust. Don't fuck with this guy, even though he stole the money to get everything. Right, <laughs> right, totally. From them. <laughs> and I think Bridges can see the absurdity in this, right? And for the family, and he's not like, oh, you guys can move back in and be rich, but you have to, like, be my wife again. Right. And kids, you have to do it. I say. He's kind of a respectful, good guy. Like, he just really is trying to help his family. Right. And so I think in that moment, what Jeff Bridges sees is you broke the law and set these things in motion to serve the greater good. Like, I do think what Chris Pine did, I think that money's better for him and his family and his kids than it is just being in the bank. Sure, totally. So Jeff Bridges seeing sometimes you must break the law to do what is right. Maybe that is where his head is resting. I, I mean, again, we just talked about I saw the devil in the, you know, lack of righting a wrong through revenge. Right. But it, it does. I mean, cause that's the thing. What is Bridges going to do? I like, mean, how long can he just sit? I mean, we and talk about Longhorn football. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I saw the devil to me is much more about the nature of revenge and what it does and how it corrupts, but how it also can maybe heal sometimes but mainly corrupt. This is about strictly the law of man versus the, the law of man versus the law of nature. Like, the nature of everything. And to me, Heller Highwater does oh, such a good job deep, of exploring bro. the law of nature in general. Like the law of nature is 
what's right is right. It doesn't matter what man says. Just because the bank is trying to fuck someone out of money doesn't mean that, like, you can sympathize with someone. Like, you don't think they're doing it correctly, but you can sympathize with someone for robbing small banks to pay back a loan that they don't think they should have to pay in the first place. But they're going to do it their way. Like, they're going to pay that money, but they're going to pay it their way. That, I think, is probably the, like, that's the real lesson for me from Hell, Hell or High Water is that this is about... This is about what's right for man. This is about what's right for the law of nature and the law of man, not the laws made by men. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's just even the nature of entropy, right? Like, totally. As things are dying, right, new things are growing. There is this kind of cyclical nature to all this that the way of Texan life and cowpoke life and the Western and the American dream is dying. The only thing these guys have is that honor, right? We know what is right. We know that this is the right thing to do, and we're going to do it anyways. Uh, law, government, state be damned. Right. Because this is what should happen. So on that level, right, you do imagine that Jeff Bridges is going to get his. Right. Right? Because Alberto left behind a big family of his own. So for Chris Pines, and that's kind of the sad, one of the sadder parts of this is it for Chris Pine's family to inoculate themselves against the cure of poverty? They just took three other potential fathers away from their family. Right. And who knows what devastation that wreaks upon them. And that's kind of the whole American system, right? Is carnage. There's only X amount of pie and we're taking it from somewhere. We're eating somewheres, right? And Chris Pine tries to do it in the most noble way possible. But at the end of the day, you're still taking shit that is not yours, right? right? Based on your moral code. Right. Whether that's right or wrong. I I love and I think that's what's cool, right? The movie just sits us on a front porch and makes us ponder and it gives us the most interesting lens with which to ponder. These these three guys in their arcs and their characters and the performances are just I mean, it's just you let it wash over you. It's just like, you know, a Texas sunset. You're like, I just want to sit here and do this. It's awesome. No matter how bad everything is. Absolutely. It's, it really I and honestly, yeah, watching it again and just take away the Western stuff and all the other. I, it's just the fact that these three performances are not being seen by people who are fans of these actors and fans of movies in general is a bummer. It's really an unbelievably excellent film. Yeah, it's I mean, it's just it's too good. Like, it's too good. Too good. It's too good. And it's too bad that this one wasn't as recognized as as it should have been yeah and hopefully it will be man you you know how movies go they find that second life eventually everything has a cyclical nature and the the beauty of streaming is that this is available on netflix like this movie's available everywhere well the worst part of netflix is how the fuck am i ever gonna see it because netflix makes 15 of their own movies every day (laughs) so it just gets buried in the deluge of netflix content woof I think this movie someday is going to end up on like Criterion Channel, something like that, where it gets some real love, and that'll be the delight, man. Definitely, it's t- it's too good to disappear. Agree, it's too good to disappear, like True Texans. Way too. Uh, that's it, guys, for Hell or High Water. Marlon Torres, uh, thanks for getting at us on Instagram, man. Lovely suggestion. I love you. I miss you. You're a great guy. Uh, as always, if you guys want to get at us and you want your st- stocking stuffed, your stuffing stocked, <laughs> however you like it, we'll give it to you. Find us on our social medias. Tell us what you'd like to cover, and we're going to try to give it to you uh, through the end of this year. Go out with the bang. Woo. Find us on all our social media, Facebook, Instagram, 
at film alchemist one twitter all those good places please leave us ratings and reviews on apple podcast share us on your social media find us on youtube and subscribe that's nerd alchemist with an s at the end it's plural uh and we'll be back next week for jaws 4 i am so excited because i didn't realize i went on letterboxd and imdb people be taking shots at jaws 4 yeah huge shock people are taking shots and i think it is a criminally underappreciated movie stop stop no joke i actually love what this sequel does so jaws (laughs) for next episode (laughs) for the film alchemist i'm josh griffin i'm alex dandino peace